Hey there, and welcome to your weekly episode of I Didn't Sign Up For This with Allison Casanova and myself, Jade Shaw. We are both licensed marriage and family therapists here in the Bay Area of California. Whether you're a practitioner yourself or just interested in topics around mental health and therapy, join us here for some real and honest conversations. Please note that this podcast is not a replacement for therapy or medical advice. Any questions about your specific situation should be directed to your own therapist or primary care physician. Thank you for listening. Welcome everybody to episode nine of the I Didn't Sign Up For This podcast. Today we are doing the first part of a two-part episode on understanding trauma. So we chose to do this topic because not only is this a really important topic, but I think it's a very widely misunderstood topic. And this is a topic that Allison and I are both very passionate about. It's something that we focus on in our practice and have quite a bit of experience working with. So we wanted to do an episode on this and really take our time to get into the kind of nitty gritty of it and help people really understand it. So today we'll start by jumping into some of the facts and getting kind of an overview of some of the sort of history of studies that were done and things like that. And then next time we'll jump into what it looks like a little bit more and how to deal with it. So Allison, do you want to start by talking about your experiences in the trauma field? So I think the first experience I probably had now that I'm like trying to really think back about when I started getting into it was before I was even an intern I volunteered as a crisis hotline provider I guess you would call it at community overcoming relationship abuse um and it didn't I wasn't there for very long but I think just being in that space and learning what I learned from them. And I did that 40 hour training that they provide was a lot of what I think I was most interested in. Um, and I don't think I realized it until I was there. Um, a lot of people ask when you first kind of become a therapist, well, how did you become a therapist and what, why did you emphasize what you emphasized in? And when I first became when I first started studying psychology and I, I didn't actually know that I wanted to be a therapist. I just know I wanted to help people. And I really had a, a interest in criminal, um, psychology actually. Mm-hmm. And I think when I, when I volunteered there, it was for something, a part of a class that I took at school. We had to pick a place and I can't remember exactly what the class was for but we had to pick a place to volunteer at that was in the field and that was a place that I picked and I fell in love with it um, more than I thought that I would it was kind of a surprise and that's when I decided that I wanted to be more more of a therapist and do that one-on-one and I wanted to do it in that area and then I think from there, I tried a couple other different things, but it always kind of came back to that. I really wanted to just help people who have been in situations that were really tough, that were traumatic, for lack of better words. Nice. So I also started working on a crisis hotline. So that's funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So I started 
uh, working at a, a rape crisis hotline when I was an undergrad. And where were you? The YWCA. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So to be honest, I felt like it was really intimidating. And I was like, I don't know if this is for me. And it, to be completely transparent, made me sort of question my career path. But what I came to find out was what I really was uncomfortable with was the phone part of it because I couldn't see their facial expressions. I couldn't read their body language. So that was really what I was uncomfortable with. Um, you guys can't see this. Allison is nodding her head vigorously right now. So I think she kind of maybe has the same experience as me. <laughs> yes, it was super intimidating and scary, but I think I think once I got the hang of it, it felt really good, but um, to be able to give them the support that they were needing, but it, it was super intimidating. And I think every time I answered the phone, I was scared. Yes. Yes. I had the exact same experience. So thankfully I went on and I ended up working with at-risk youth and I just totally fell in love with that and it really clicked for me. But what I found was that these youth who were incarcerated or somehow involved in the justice system all had histories of trauma. And so that was kind of a clue in for me. And I later went in to work with children, which is kind of funny. When I started at uh, this new agency that I was working for, I wanted to continue working with adolescents, teens. And they were like, well, we really need you to work with the younger kids. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this is not what I was expecting. But I really, really found a passion for it. But these kids were at this residential facility because they had been taken out of the home by CPS at some point or another and were either looking for um, an adoptive family to be with or they were eventually hoping to go back with their parents. But needless to say, they all had terrible trauma histories. And that like really, really inspired my sort of passion for working with people with trauma, particularly kids. That's my area. So that's a little bit about my experience and my history with that. Um, we'll get into what these experiences sort of look like and maybe some of the things that we saw in terms of trauma. But my experience was that trauma was not at all what I thought it was going to look like especially when working with kids. So that's another reason that I think that this episode is really important because even as a therapist, I had sort of misconceptions and misguided thoughts about what trauma looked like in real life. And working with these kids made me see that it's a level above what I expected. I'm glad that you said that because when I was at the, when I was volunteering as uh, uh, on the hotline, I don't think that it kind of clicked with me that that's exactly what was going on either because we were taught so, so much differently, right? When we're in school. Mm -hmm. And so for us to have that conception, if you look at somebody who's maybe never even had that experience, the, the idea is definitely very, very different from what it actually is. And the more that I started bouncing around and trying new things, I started to really realize even more that a lot of the, the people that I was helping had some kind of struggle mm -hmm. when they were younger. 
And it, it wasn't necessarily the idea that we think of when we think of trauma, this big, huge, like horrific event, but it definitely was significant and it definitely is considered trauma. And I think trauma is such a, a, a scary word. I think a lot of people experience it and don't realize that that's what it is because it, it that word, I think it has a lot more behind it. I think that maybe like a negative connotation behind yeah. it than it, in it. It's really unfortunate because it, when you look at it that way, it's looked at in such a bad light, but it's not any, it's not like a choice, right? Right. To have it. And so I think that's where all that shame comes from too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think that a lot of people are embarrassed to talk about their experiences with it or their difficulties around it. But that kind of brings me into some of these sort of facts that we picked up on trauma. So we found that 70% of adults in the United States have experienced some type of trauma and that of those 70%, 20% will go on to develop PTSD. And I personally think that that number is low. I would say that it's probably more than 70% of adults have experienced some type of trauma in their life. Perhaps that's, that's because... That's just what people are reporting. Exactly, exactly. And there are always people who are experiencing it and not saying it. So it's tough that people have a hard time talking about it because I think it's an area that a lot of people could probably relate to. And I think just to piggyback off that, I know you said 70% of adults have experienced it, but one of the ones that I found was 60% of adults report experiencing abuse as a child. So I think that that number is pretty high too. And it's probably, like you said, higher than Mm -hmm. that, but that's just what it was. That was what was reported. Yeah. Yeah. So at some point or another, the idea here is that so many people, the majority of people have experienced this trauma and so many people aren't talking about it or aren't getting the help that they need or aren't even understanding that they've experienced trauma, right? Because you can be having reactions to certain things and not really understanding why and then sort of later come to realize a previous experience you've had is contributing to these difficulties that you're currently having. But again, we'll like really dive into that more in depth later on in the second part of this episode. A third fact that I find really fascinating and really important is that PTSD and trauma is associated with changes in brain function and brain structure. So again, going back to what Allison said about people sort of feel like they should have control over this or that there's a choice in this when really these experiences are physically changing the way that your brain is working to help protect you. And so while there is some control you have in overcoming it, some of it really is just your brain saying, this is what we're doing now to keep you safe. And I mean, it's it's awesome if you think about it, right? Your brain has this built-in system to take care of you. We refer to it as fight or flight, right? I think that's a pretty common term that a lot of people know. But you're not meant to live in fight or flight. So I think that's the problem. Your, Your brain uses that if it's in a dangerous situation but if if you're in a space for a really long time and you're experiencing the stuff over and over again you end up being in it for longer so then your brain starts having these having your body 
your body starts eliciting symptoms because of what your brain is doing. And it's not necessarily something that it was meant to do. Right. Yeah. That your safety net is on overdrive and it's meant to be used in sort of short snippets, but when it's constantly turned on, your body really starts to suffer and, you know, your mental health starts to suffer, your physical health starts to suffer. So that to me, I think even beyond the numbers is probably one of the most important sort of takeaways from this episode, because I want to give people that information. This is what is physically happening in your body in response to this experience, that it's not just, you know, a sign of weakness or your inability to process something, that it really is a physical reaction on some level. I have a really interesting statistic that kind of has to do, it kind of has to do with what we were talking about, I think, in a previous episode. Like, we, I think we were talking about the, the importance of one to five, like that age range in your development and how it kind of sets you up. Mm-hmm. And then this statistic says young children exposed to five or more significant adverse childhood experiences in the first three years of childhood face a 76 percent likelihood of having one or more delays in their language emotional or brain development Mm -hmm. that's pretty huge yeah I mean again I've sort of in my career of working with trauma have learned so much and I continue to learn so much I am by no means an expert in this area but one of the things that I recently learned at a conference that Allison and I actually went to together was The way that a child's brain sort of builds and how that's affected by trauma. And so you often see kids sort of engaging in regressed behaviors or not able to move past a certain age level, so to speak. And a lot of that could be related to trauma and the way that, you know, those kids who experienced those number of events are being affected physically by those experiences. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think... Sometimes I think we get this idea that, you know, they're young, they'll bounce back, they're super resilient, but really, if you if you sit down and think about it, I mean, yeah, okay, we were talking last week about, you know, you're not home as much, and we were saying that that might have an impact, but, like, if there is really a, a huge thing that happens, um, some kind of traumatic event. If a child, even though, you know, they're young and you have this idea that they're going to bounce back, it really does affect just the way that they see the world, mm-hmm. the way that their body is able to able to handle it. Because at that point, when you're that young, you haven't developed the skills to be able to regulate, mm-hmm. right? So, and that's, that's how we cope and deal with things. So if you're not able to do that and your family isn't, maybe able to help you with that for whatever reason, then it definitely can have an impact on how far you can kind of develop because then there's this discrepancy between your biological age and your developmental age and kind of where where you are in your brain. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like then that part of your brain that controls your fight or flight kind of takes over and it's just trying to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. And if you're in that space, you, you can't really go forward. Mm-hmm. Like you have to feel safe before you can kind of keep developing. Mm-hmm. Also too, if you sort of think about how kids should typically progress, you know, at some point we're looking at our mothers and we're learning how to 
mirror these emotions and understand these emotions and we're learning how to like Allison said self-regulate and if our brains are preoccupied trying to keep us safe and manage this trauma, it's not able to put its full energy into learning these tools and using them. So it kind of just does what it has to do and it surpasses the thing that seems less important, like self-regulating, and tries to move on from there. But at some point, in order to really process it and deal with it and fully function, we have to go back and relearn those things that we weren't able to learn at the time that that trauma was happening. So I know that we're going to get more into that in the next part of this episode when we talk about trauma in kids. Um, Allison, I don't know if you want to talk about the ACE study since we did mention the adverse childhood experiences. There is this study called ACE, but it's adverse childhood experiences. And it started where they they had about 17,000 people from the United States involved in this study, and they analyzed the long-term effects of childhood and adolescent traumatic experiences on adult health risks, mental health, healthcare costs, life expectancy, and they have this test that you can take, and we can link to it, and it talks, it asks you like different questions, and then it kind of tells you what your score is and how likely you are to maybe develop some of these struggles because of that. And then there's also a second one that goes with it. And it's called, I think it's called the resiliency, the ACE resiliency test or something like that. Um, but it talks about support and what your support system look like or what your perceived support system looks like and that we can maybe talk about in the second part too but what that number looks like kind of gives you an idea of how 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 much easier it is and how much likely it will be for you to surpass all of the struggles that you've had and get into a better place because of that support that you had or that you felt like you had Mm -hmm. yeah so I think the takeaway from this One thing that the ACE study really showed was that, like we were talking about earlier, your experience of these, what they call adverse childhood experiences or traumatic events as a child, later people are being exposed to higher risk of things like substance use or medical health issues, uh, mental health issues, you know, risk-taking behaviors, earlier death. So we don't say any of this to scare anybody, but this is the reality of it, right? These are the things that they're finding when looking at trauma, that it's a much bigger picture than people typically think of. And this is recent, too. Uh-huh. I mean, if you really look at it, the the study happened between 1995 and 1997. So it, it wasn't that long ago that they started realizing all of this stuff and the impact that it had on, on people. And it was all experiences under the age of 18. So while you're still developing and learning, it wasn't as an adult. Right, right. And just to clarify, the survey was taken by adults, but the questions they answered were about um, experiences under the age of 18. Thank you for that. So with all that being said, what is trauma? Because we've referenced it a lot, but we haven't really talked about what it is. So if you are to look at sort of the technical definition of PTSD, 
post-traumatic stress disorder in the book that therapists use to diagnose. One of the criteria would define PTSD as having experienced an event or more than one event that involved death or threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, or threatened sexual violation. In addition, these events were experienced in one or more of the following ways. Either you experienced the event yourself, you witnessed the event as it occurred to somebody else, you learned about an event where a close relative or friend experienced an actual or threatened violent or accidental death, or you experienced repeated exposure to distressing details of an event, such as a police officer repeatedly hearing details about child sexual abuse. Now, with that being said, there is another working definition put out by SAMHSA, um, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And I personally feel more connected to this definition, at least based on what I've seen in my work with clients. So this definition describes individual trauma as resulting from an event, series of events, or set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening, and that has lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning and mental, physical, social, emotional, or spiritual well-being. So to me, I just feel like that second definition put out by SAMHSA is more all-encompassing, and we'll get into this in greater detail later. But again, like we've said, Trauma encompasses so many different experiences and different events that it's hard to just, I I think, keep it in sort of the narrow definition. So if you want to put it into really simple terms Mm -hmm. for everybody, I would say that it's an overwhelming event or a series of unfavorable events, plus your inability to kind of cope or manage it or go back to kind of your baseline of where you were before. And then that kind of equals this trauma response, this this not feeling safe. And if you think about it in those respects, it's basically a reaction in the body that working the way that it's supposed to work when your fight or flight system is on. So it's how your system responds to this event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... I like that you said how your system responds to this event, because I think a lot of it is, like we mentioned earlier, it's your body's way of coping, right? And that that way of coping almost has an opposite effect when it's put into place for too long. Also, I realized that I referenced the DSM and didn't define what that is. So the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And that is the book I referenced that therapists or mental health providers go by when determining a diagnosis. And there are so many different versions. So for just the sake of being more clear, we're on number five, right? Uh Uh-huh. You know what? As a side note, I had to take, I think probably everybody did, an entire course on learning the DSM. And right after I took that course, they switched to the DSM-5. So I had to restudy the new DSM to take my exam for the the updated one. Yeah, it was difficult for me because I learned, so I had taken the exam to learn five because I had to use it at work, Mm -hmm. but I was testing on four. So it was so confusing. Oh, man. Yes. 
I mean, most of the stuff was the same, but like little things were different. Yeah. 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 I took the course on four, but I had to use five for work and for my exam. Crazy making. Anyhow, fun fact. So that is a good fun fact. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I think you make a good point uh, when you say that the DSM doesn't really... I think it falls short of describing it Mm -hmm. because if you look at all of the diagnoses in the DSM, I think that they're all very similar Mm -hmm. in some respect and all very, very different in other respects. Mm -hmm. Like obviously they're different. Otherwise we wouldn't have like different, different diagnoses and different symptoms, but some of the symptoms are so similar or they're coming from such a similar place Mm -hmm. that they could, sometimes they're, they're really easily um, misdiagnosed or diagnosed when thing is diagnosed when it's really something else mm-hmm. because the symptoms are so similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I like about the SAMHSA definition that I think the DSM-1 is missing is naming it as an emotionally harmful event, that, mm-hmm. that it can be physically or emotionally harmful, right? Because just because we're not threatened with death or perceived death doesn't mean that we can't experience that situation as traumatic. Um, that situation totally can very and much I, so affect us. And I think the other thing to keep in mind too is one person, we could have two different people experiencing the same really big event and one person might develop something like PTSD and the other person might not, but that doesn't mean that they're not still struggling with it. It's everybody's system responds differently based on their own experience and development and support. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And also to note that you can experience a traumatic situation and have a negative reaction to it and experience certain symptoms and not have full-blown diagnosable PTSD. So I think that there's a spectrum there that is currently missing that is so important in understanding trauma and understanding people's experience of it and and treating it and being able to process it, right? You don't have to have PTSD to feel like you need to do something about it or feel like you're uncomfortable with your current situation. Or I also think that there should be something added to that um, diagnosis of complex Mm -hmm. PTSD because I think that sometimes it falls short and some of the other diagnoses don't quite encompass it. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't have to be one specific thing. You could have a whole bunch of different small things happen over the course of time and you don't have all of the symptoms of PTSD but you're still there Mm -hmm. yeah do you while we're on this want to say a little bit more about complex trauma or I think that people might not know what you mean by that so when I say complex trauma I mean it's not just one thing that happened but like there are several different small things that happen over a course of time that you're not able to necessarily cope with and get back to where you were before. So to, to give you like a super small scale, this obviously isn't, isn't traumatic, but like super small scale, like let's pretend you wake up in the morning and on a scale of one to 10, 10 is like most stressed out and overwhelmed you possibly could be. And one is like super calm. That's your baseline. So you're waking up at one. And let's say you look over and you realize, oh no, 
my alarm did not go off you are automatically gonna go up, right? You're not gonna get a one anymore. You're gonna be kind of stressed out. So let's pretend you're at a three. So you get up really fast and you're trying to kind of get ready and figure out what you need to do to be able to get out of the house so you can get to where you need to be. And let's pretend the person you're living with, they are parked in front of you and you can't get out. So now you're going to have to go back in after you've gotten into your car and tell them that you really need them to move, but maybe they're in the shower and they can't move. So you're having a hectic morning, right? So you have to wait for them to get out of the shower so they can move. So now, you know, you're on your way to work or school and there's a car accident. Now you're even more late. And let's say, you know, if you're going to school, now you get in your class and there's a pop quiz. Or if you're at work, there's a surprise presentation that your boss just kind of threw at you. So you haven't been able to kind of come back down to one since you woke up. Mm-hmm. And so normally, if, you know, it was just that one thing, you could get back down to one pretty fast. But because there was so many things piled on top, you could all of a sudden now be at like nine and you it's just so much more difficult for you to come back down because there were so many things. It's going to take way more time. So that's just one day. So if you have bigger stuff like that that kind of keeps happening throughout the course, your baseline changes. So now you're waking up at like a five every day. It's not much wiggle room for you to be able to deal with your day. And I think that that makes it even more complex because stress stress helps us get from point A to point B. But when it's so big like that and now it becomes this, this thing that's impeding you from functioning every day and managing and coping, it, it blows everything up to that much more of an extreme. Mm-hmm. It puts your body on super high alert. That's a good example. So really when you look at it, you know, your, your system balances, it regulates your body. It's involuntary. You don't have to think about it. When it's out of balance, you adapt to it. But I think what happens when you start getting symptoms is as a result of being in that stress, in that, in that response, that fight or flight for too long. Yeah. So with that being said, I think... There are a lot of symptoms and behaviors and characteristics that we could get into, but we'll, that is something that we can get into on the next episode because I think we've already given you a lot of information to digest and this is a good place to kind of pause and, um, and let you guys kind of sit with it and then we'll get into it next week. So with that being said, I have a quote, I think, that kind of encompasses this um, nicely, and it's a good, a good place to end on. It's by Bruce Perry, and he's pretty fantastic. He's one of the really big experts and big names in trauma. He, he's written a lot and done a lot of research about it, so he's probably one of my, my role models, I guess you would say. <laughs> I love all of the research and stuff that he has written. Um, One of the quotes that he has is, for years, mental health professionals taught people that they could be psychologically healthy without social support and that unless you love yourself, no one else will love you. But the truth is you cannot love yourself unless you have been loved and are loved. The capacity to love cannot be built in isolation. So I really like this quote because I think 
it kind of just demonstrates that we learn through our relationships. And if you have are somebody who's never felt love, it's really hard to know or understand what that even looks like and how to then incorporate it into your everyday life. Yeah, I love that too. I think that it just really goes to show not only how important our relationships are in terms of building these sort of tools and these um, kind of like a solid foundation for us to have, but it's also so important in helping us find that sort of home base again when we're looking for that baseline after a traumatic situation. I think it's just all over the place important. When it's funny, if you think about it, we're social creatures. We learn from each other. So what makes this particular topic an outlier? Right. Right. Like why would why would we think that we can't <laughs> that we could just know what that is without without getting it from the people around us. And Mm -hmm. I think this is one of the big reasons why if you have that perceived social support and that group of people around you that are helping you get through the difficult stuff, it's a lot easier and more likely that you will get through it, even if things are really tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, let's do our tips for the day. And then we will quickly sort of introduce what you can look for in the part two of this episode. So my tip of the day is to say something positive to somebody else and to yourself about yourself. This is a super, super quick one. You know, it really just takes a matter of seconds if you want it to. But I think that noticing positivity around us sort of helps us feel more positively sometimes and recognizing it in ourselves, even if it's like, hey, I did an awesome job picking out these super comfortable sweatpants to wear today. (laughs) Sometimes that's the positive you focus on. So it doesn't have to be anything extreme, but just noticing the positive in the people around you and in yourself. And I think to piggyback off that, sometimes it can be really difficult for you to come up with something on your own about yourself and it's a lot easier to pick it out in somebody else so what you could do is ask somebody that you trust somebody that you care about and respect to maybe come up with something positive or something that they like or see in you and have them write it down on like a post-it note And then you can put it somewhere that you see every day. So you're reminded of it. I think sometimes the more that we see it and the more that we hear it, the more we kind of start to see and maybe believe that what the other person is saying is true. And if we can believe that someone else means it, it'll start being a little easier to, to maybe trust that, trust it in ourselves too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that one. I like that one a lot. So in looking at what we're going to talk about in the second part of this episode, we will recap a little bit of what we talked about in this current episode to give you a little bit of a reminder. And then we'll talk about situations that can be traumatic that people don't often consider to be traumatic situations or don't immediately think of when you think of traumatic situations. We will talk about what people typically think of when they think of trauma in terms of what it looks like and the reality of what trauma looks like, the actual symptoms that you might see or experience. We will talk about PTSD in kids 
and more about what that looks like and how that's displayed. And then we will talk about what to do if you're experiencing trauma or if somebody that you know or care about is experiencing trauma. We will definitely link to some of the studies and resources that we referenced, as well as some books that we know of that are helpful. Allison, maybe you can link to some of the Bruce Perry stuff that you referenced. And I have a couple things that I will reference as well. And then I think too, on that note, just to keep in mind for next time, and we'll kind of go over it again too, even though you might experience some of the stuff that we're talking about, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is what you have, or that is what's going on. So it's just kind of an an idea to have you guys understand it a little bit more and see the other side of it. So if you do have any questions and you're not really sure, make sure that you are seeking out your own support so that you can find clarity on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you come up with any sort of thoughts or questions or things that you want us to address in the part two of this episode, feel free to let us know or comment and we'll get to that. Alrighty. So until then, take it easy. Bye.